question to ask you this morning that shouldn't surprise you coming, considering the source, but it might appear slightly odd, but it's of critical professional importance to me. How many people pay attention to the sermon title before the sermon? And I won't ask how many people say, what title? Okay, that's okay. But how many people, does it, does it mean something that there's a, a sermon title and what to say, is it, do you, how many people pay attention to the sermon title? Okay. Here's a dumb question. Why? That's not a dumb question. I'm sorry, Walter? Yes, Daphne, I'd like to know what you're preaching. So would I. I'd like to know what I'm preaching on, too. No, no, that's a, that's a legitimate question. Any, any other comments about sermon titles? Yeah, it prepares your mind for what? Yeah, that's right. Uh-oh, watch out. I think I'll flip over this one. That's what I would do. I'm not saying you do that, Judy, but I would. It's like, uh, I don't feel like being convicted on that area of my life today. Um, okay, that's helpful. I um, struggled a little bit with our sermon title uh, this morning, as I, I sometimes do. We are Easter people, and we are, and we'll unpack that. We talked a little bit about that uh, the last couple of Sundays, what I was debating saying was, he is risen, so what? And that's a little bit of what we're talking about this morning. The implications of the resurrection. Jesus is risen, so what? Uh, let me read over a passage that we looked at briefly at that exciting family service that we had last week. Uh, I love having the kids in here. It's kind of chaotic, but as one parent told me, I'm really glad that they're somewhere else most of the time so everybody can focus on age-appropriate teaching. But it's all good. All right, this is from John chapter 20. That's Sunday evening. Now, this is the, the evening of the resurrection. Jesus shows up to a few people, and then he's gone. So his friends are trying to figure out what is going on. They're trying to process all this, right? That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And for good reason, right? They thought they would be next. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Now think about that for a minute. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. What would you do? How would you react? Seriously, come on, use a little bit of imagination. The Lord gave us the gray matter, not just to prevent the wind from whistling through our ears, but he speaks through us through our imagination. What would it have been like? Yeah, I think we're seeing things, right? And that's what um, a popular uh, skeptical attitude against the resurrection, all these people, it was mass hysteria, just hallucinations. The only see what you want to see. Well, scriptures tell us that Jesus appeared several times and, and, and on one occasion to over 500 people. So that's pretty good mass solution, right? Whatever was on the restricted list of stimulants that day must have been pretty good. I don't know. But they, they had these, you know, Jesus appeared to over 500 people. So yeah, you might think it's a hallucination. What else? Fear. Fear. That. Did that come from the choir? Okay. Good. That, that's a natural reaction, right? A natural reaction. 
So let's continue. What does Jesus say? Peace be with you. And that's that word shalom that we're talking about, right? Um, it, it's not just not fighting. Sometimes if you're in a household where there's fighting all the time, and all of a sudden there's no fighting, it's like, ah, oh, peace at last. That's not really peace. It's just a ceasefire. Everyone's gathering ammunition for the next round, right? But, um, but peace is well-being and blessing and thriving. Think of an atmosphere, whatever condition or environment you need to thrive, that's what shalom is. And that's what Jesus is greeting his friends with. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord, right? And again, he says, peace be with you. I think the fear was starting to reside by then. And maybe the adrenaline was draining out of their body, and maybe the cortisol, and then it's like, oh, wow, it really is Jesus. Ah, I can't believe it. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Let's just hit the pause button there for a minute. Now, we live in a society that's filled with fear. And that day... Fear was quite tangible in that room, that locked room. It was thick and tangible. It was surrounding everyone. It was filling every word and look. They were waiting for the next knock on the door. They were waiting for the next footsteps to be coming up saying, "Uh uh-oh, this is it. They've got us. But there was no knock on the door and no footsteps. Jesus just appeared, right? But we know this fear. We know what this fear feels like. Every single day, we're told to be afraid in our society. From crime rates to unemployment or terrorism to feeling isolated, we are a people living in fear. We're told to fear ISIS. We're reminded that unstable people in unstable countries have got the potential to unleash nuclear war in the world. We're told to be afraid of immigrants. We're afraid of sickness. We're afraid of loss. We're told to be afraid of the wealthy. We're told to be afraid of the poor. We're told to be afraid of people who don't look like us. We're afraid of what we lack. We're afraid of our failures. We're afraid of our past. We might be afraid of the future. We're afraid of each other. And our current political climate doesn't help us at all, does it? Because it speaks to the depth and influential nature of our national and international fear. We are a people afraid, and that fear has trapped us. It's got us in a locked room. And like those early disciples, we're sitting there kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Uh Uh-oh, what is going to happen next? Aung San Suu Kyi is um, a Nobel Prize award winner. She was an activist in Myanmar, formerly Burma. And for 
years, I think decades, she's been working against the regime there for regime change to introduce democracy to that country. And for her trouble, she's been persecuted and imprisoned and uh, eventually she was awarded the Nobel Prize, Peace Prize for her efforts. She said, the only real prison is fear and the only real freedom is freedom from fear. The only real prison is fear. The only real freedom is freedom from fear. Easter Sunday. So what? Easter Sunday is an opportunity for us to welcome Jesus into our fears. Just like we were in that locked room, we invite Jesus into our fears. And what does he say? Peace be unto you. Or peace out, as some of my younger friends would say. Peace. And then he breathes his spirit on us and says, just as my father sent me, I'm sending you. I'm giving you what it takes to do my will in this world that doesn't know peace. I'm not going to send you out unequipped. I'm not going to send you out without what you need. And in fact, you don't need what you think you need, but what you really need, I'm going to give you, and that's me. Receive the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of Jesus. We can't gloss over this. We can't minimize it. We desperately need Jesus in us. A little more on that later. Then he says, if you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And some of us are going, whoa, time out. Since when do we have the authority to forgive sins? Well, we don't because we're not God. But what does Jesus mean? And this is what he meant when he said that. Jesus is leaving earth physically, but he's promised that God would be with them in the person of the Holy Spirit living in them. And as they proclaim the gospel, the good news about Jesus, they could honestly tell people who believed in that message that their sins were forgiven. So as we speak in Jesus' name, as we do the things he tells us to do, we can say to folks, if you confess your sin, God is willing to forgive your sin and you'll be cleansed, you'll be cleaned up from everything that's unclean. We can do that in Jesus' authority, right? And we warn our friends and neighbors and even our enemies, we warn them, if you don't get right with God, your sins won't be forgiven. And when people get their back up about that and get a little huffy, I said, hey, I didn't say that. Don't shoot the messenger. Uh, you know, the Bible says, to quote Billy Graham, he gets out of a lot of sticky situations by just quoting the Bible. The Bible says this, not Billy Graham, not Rick Hill, not anyone here. The Bible says, right? So forgiveness for sins is available, but the consequences of not seeking God and getting right from God, the consequences of that are awful and eternally disastrous for us. So as Easter people, we have the opportunity to have peace, to know that peace that Jesus has, freedom from fear, and we have the Holy Spirit that Jesus has given to us as his children. Let's continue. So welcome Jesus into your fears. 
Now, unfortunately, one of the 12 disciples was missing that day, and his name was Thomas. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. I don't know who the other twin was. There must have been another one to be a twin. But that's an interesting topic you can talk about over lunch. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we've seen the Lord. Wow. And he said, look, I won't believe it until I seal the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Just like you guys did. You guys saw Jesus' wounds? Well, good for you. What I'm not going to believe it until I see it. Kind of logical, right? Kind of makes sense. Um, Thomas may have been from the state of Missouri. Their state motto is, show me, right? I think that's, uh, maybe that's where he was from. Now, I think people are a little too hard on Thomas. He typically gets this uh, nickname, Doubting Thomas. I don't think that's fair necessarily to Thomas. And we'll see why next. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. Again, the doors were locked. But suddenly, as before... Jesus was standing among them. This is like an instant replay from a week before. Doors locked. Jesus shows up. Ah, here he is again. And what does he say? Okay, here's, I'm sorry. You got a cue. And what does he say? Great. Okay, we'll, we'll practice that next time. I, did, I sprung it on you. Peace be with you. And then he says to Thomas, okay, put your finger here and look at my hands. And put your finger into the hole in my side, the wound in my side, and don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Tommy, here I am. And what does Thomas do? My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, You believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Now, let's just pause for a minute on Thomas. He isn't mentioned too often in the rest of the New Testament, but one time he is mentioned, Jesus is saying, just a few weeks before this, um, Jesus is saying, guys, time's gone. I've got to go out to Bethany. It's time for me to go to Jerusalem. And he had warned them that he was going to be killed. I don't think they were really too stoked about that. I think they were trying to kind of talk him out of it and see if there was a plan B. But he said, Jesus says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And do you know what Thomas says? All right, okay, well, let's go up and die. We'll go up and die with you. Now, you've got to admire that courage and resolution. Maybe a little bit of resignation there, and maybe even a little bit of fatalism. It's like, oh, well, game over. Well, at least we won't run away from you. We're all in this together. Let's let's go do it. I'm not sure who Thomas was a glass half full or a glass half empty guy, you know? You can look, you know, those people where there's a little bit of cloud on the horizon and it becomes overcast suddenly. It's, I'm not sure if Thomas was like that. But we can't impugn his character too much because he missed out on the first opportunity to see Jesus and his wounds. So naturally, he was skeptical. And Jesus graciously says, okay, Thomas, here I am. Appears the same way. Locked doors. Jesus shows up. Peace be with you. And Thomas has the experience that his friends miss, had experienced the, the week before. Then Jesus says something interesting. Now, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. 
And I think what Jesus is trying to say is, faith is ultimately a leap. Now, I, I hope you will agree with the following statement. I like to see myself as a fairly rational person. I need answers. I like evidence. There are some Christians who have the idea that when they enter the front door of a church, they instantly have some kind of a lobotomy and their brain is checked at the door and after the service, they can pick up their brain again and go back into everyday life. That's just foolish because God gave us an intellect and reason. But there is a point where you can't have everything exactly figured out. You just can't. It is a leap of faith to get married, right? We, uh, yesterday was kind of a crazy day for us. It was a, we watched uh, one wedding long distance um, that we were sharing in. We were at a physical wedding here in Winnipeg, and we went to a wedding social in the evening. I thought, we're going to make a new movie called Two Weddings and a Social. It was just a 14, well, beyond, it was like a 20-hour day. But it was fun. All these relationships that people are celebrating. But even marriage is a leap of faith because you can look at your potential spouse and say, well, uh, intellectually, yeah, that makes sense. This person could be a good match, I guess. And then you look at um, your emotions. Hopefully there's some chemistry there. And think, wow, this this is the one. This is the this this person has become the one for me. I honestly don't believe there's a magical one out there. I think that's Hollywood, but we can talk about that later. But this person has become the the one for me. That so there's an emotional thing, but ultimately you have to say, I do. This part of the ceremony, right? Yeah. I do. The thing about that is that you can say I do in the day of your marriage. But every day after that, you have to keep saying, I do, and I will. And the other person has to say that too, right? Because it always takes two sides. And the challenge is when one partner says, I won't. And that's where it gets problematic and very painful. But at any rate, this whole faith thing, it's Thomas wanted a sign just like the other disciples saw Jesus, he wanted that same experience. And Jesus was saying, okay, you believed, you've seen the sign, well and good. But blessed are those who don't need the sign to still believe. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Jesus knew that he was going back to heaven shortly and he wasn't going to be around physically for people to you know, do an examination. That must have got a little bit, that would get a little bit tiring. You know, it's like, Oh, let's see your scars, you know, that kind of thing. So he knew that that ultimately people would need to start believing and exercising their faith without the physical evidence of seeing his scars. And that's what he was trying to say. And this whole idea of faith is that it grows in us. It needs to be um, kind of rekindled Every time. It's, it's just not an automatic thing. It's kind of like being married. You have to keep saying, I do, every morning. And recommitting ourselves. But I will say this. 
Welcome Jesus into your skepticism. Welcome Jesus into your fear. Welcome Jesus into your skepticism. It's perfectly natural to have doubts. Doubts are a good thing. (gasps) What? Doubts are a good thing. Doubts are a good thing if they spur you into seeking the answer. Right? One of my favorite prayers I tell people is say, look, as you read the Bible, ask God to reveal himself to you and say, God, if you're real, show me. All right? Just keep praying that prayer. God, if you're real, show me. If God really is God, if he really is who he says he is, he can certainly pull off revealing himself to you, right? And he will. He will. In a way that affirms inside Yeah, this is real. I get it. And there are times when we feel like we're kind of slipping away and feeling unsure. Welcome Jesus into your skepticism. Okay? Don't deny it. Don't get locked up in a box. But welcome Jesus into your skepticism. See, Jesus transforms fear into hope. That scared little band of disciples that he showed up at in the beginning of our passage this morning... Just a few weeks later, I was reading in uh, Acts chapter 5 this week. (sighs) What a bunch of world changers. Peter is running for his life, you know, right around when Jesus is getting crucified, swearing all over the place. I never knew the blinkety-blink so-and-so. I never knew this guy. Then he gets reconciled with Jesus and recommissioned and filled with the Holy Spirit. And then when he's hauled up in court in front of the religious authorities, do you know what he does? He said... They're threatening them with all kinds of beatings and imprisonment and possibly death. And do you know what what Peter does? Now, from hiding in a locked room, just a few weeks later, he says, you know what? We have to obey God more than men. Period. That is quite a change. That's a remarkable change in the character of the disciples. You can only explain this by an experience with the risen Jesus. They knew they had seen that Jesus was back. Back from the dead. So Jesus transforms our fear into hope. Jesus transforms our skepticism into belief. We realize that it's healthy to have doubts. They drive us to Jesus. They drive us to God and saying, God, if you're real, show it to me. And that may be a long process, but he will reveal himself. And Jesus breathes his spirit into us so that he's actually in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's what the Apostle Paul says. So if you're following Jesus today, You have Jesus living in you. What? No. Think about that. Now, it's up to you to let let him have the whole house. And that's really another sermon. But the more he transforms us, the more he takes over our lives, the better it is for everyone. Not just yourself, but, but the better it is for everyone. Easter people are transformed through an encounter with the risen Jesus. That's what Easter people are like. So they can be full of of hope and peace. 
They can be full of faith. And the Apostle Paul says, you know, if we have Jesus in us, it's, it's Jesus, the hope of glory, okay? There's something, just know that there's something good is going to happen. We have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. What makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. So we're like clay pots. Some of us are a little more cracked than others, but we're like clay pots. And clay pots back in Jesus' day, they were just a common um, utilitarian way of containing stuff, right? In fact, archaeologists, when they want to find out how old a city was when they're excavating, they look at the pottery. There are some people who make their living looking at broken pots, and they can tell you how old a city is or civilization by the, where the clay came from. and It's interesting if you're into archaeology. But these clay pots, they were just standard containers. They weren't fancy, sort of like tin cans. You know, we, we marketing today, we kind of jazz them up with labels and stuff. But basically, a, a bare tin can isn't that exciting. It's just a tin can. In the same way, most of us aren't super remarkable. Now, God loves us. God loves you, but I'm his favorite. Someone's told me. I, I'm just kidding. God loves us. You know, but we're ordinary tin cans. But what gives us tremendous value is we have this treasure. We have Jesus in us, the hope of glory. And that makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. If we have Holy Spirit living in us, and present in our lives. That's a treasure beyond belief. That's amazing. It's a game changer. It gives us the potential to change from the inside out as we allow God, as we allow God the freedom to work on our stuff that needs changing. That is tremendously encouraging. So friends, as Easter people... Uh, I invite us to, to welcome Jesus into our fear, to welcome him into our skepticism, and, now, and allow the Holy Spirit to breathe life into us. What I'd like to do right now is I'd like us to do something. I want us to be quiet, and we're going we're gonna to pray. So close your eyes for a minute. We're going to pray. And I want you to just use your imagination as we pray. Imagine you're in a that locked room. Maybe your locked room is fear. Maybe it's skepticism. Maybe it's both. That's okay. But whatever locks you up, whatever makes you want to retreat from the world and curl up into a ball and not come out, all those things, all those fears and doubts flying around in our heads. Let's have a look at them. Now, welcome Jesus into those doubts and fears. What would it look like for Jesus to show up in that room with your fears and your doubts? Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine what Jesus would say to you what would he do?
Holy Spirit, breathe upon us now as we sit and listen to you and say, Jesus, what are you saying to us right now? What are you saying to us about our fears? What are you saying to us about our doubts? Jesus says to us, peace be unto you. And he breathes his spirit upon us. Father, for those of us who are struggling with fear and doubt today, we give them over to you and help us to continue to listen to what you have to say to us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.